มุทสาบุกวัตวรหัตสัมมาสัมบุตสามนโมทสามุกวัตวรหัตสัมมาสัมบุตสามนโมทสามุกวัตวรหัตสัมมาสัมบุตสามพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนมัสThis is the first Saturday of the month, and uh, our tradition these days is to uh, spend some time uh, contemplating together, considering the Dhammapada verse that is on our calendar page. And so, for the month of October, the Dhammapada verse is three five four, which some of you may have read already. Which says the gift of dhamma excels all gifts. The flavor of dhamma surpasses all flavors. The delight of dhamma transcends all delights. Freedom from craving is the end of suffering. Contemplating this verse, and one of the things that I really like about it is, it's one of those statements that the Buddha gave. It's just, this is how it is. He's not trying to persuade us of anything, or necessarily making a a clever argument. Um, he's just saying, this is how it is. The gift of Dhamma, the gift of truth. Surpasses, excels, transcends all other gifts, and it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful to hear this uh, stated. But the uh, the position we find ourselves in, of, well, that's not how it is for me. Yeah. That's I'm very pleased that that was the Buddha's experience, but. What do we do with that? And I would suggest this is an important question to consider with all spiritual teachings. Uh, we can believe in them, but the Buddha was very clear, very insistent, that he didn't want us to merely believe in his teachings. He didn't want us to disbelieve in them, obviously, but he gave his teachings as skillful means, upaya, the word is used in Pali, uh, uh, pointings, directions, and sometimes I like to think of that, the like preparation, the ways that we can prepare ourselves for life. Life is like this. Life is. Sometimes straightforward, smooth sailing. Sometimes very complicated and very difficult. Sometimes wonderful. Sometimes hugely irritating and and painful. And we can't control it a lot of the time. So how do we prepare ourselves for it? And so this, like for instance, the last line of this verse, the interval suffering. That's that I'm interested in. That I'm interested in the end of suffering. But just believing at the end of that freedom from craving, 
is the end of suffering. That's not enough. And so the invitation is to take this respectfully and to consider it. What, do I, what is the well, one way we can consider it is to say, well, what is the what is the consequence of attachments? The teachings talk about we've got to let go of our attachments. And a few days ago, it was the full moon day, and I sent out my Dhammapada verse. The uh, first couple of lines of that verse I sent out, it, it said uh, something like, um, remove the bonds of affection as one would pluck an autumn flower. And uh, somebody did write to me uh, questioning what was actually meant by this, and, and it is something that we often get confused about. The Buddha said, uh, cut off or remove the bonds of affection. And so they said, well, is he saying something wrong with having feelings of affection? You shouldn't have feelings of affection. Well, if you uh, read the way he talked about his experience when his his dear friend Sariputta Mogalana passed away, you can tell the Buddha had uh, strong feelings of affection. But did the Buddha suffer? No. The Buddha didn't suffer. So what's the problem? What's the difference to have feelings of fondness? He talked a lot about the suffering of fondness, the suffering of affection. Uh, but he also talked about, uh, all very familiar with the, uh, the encouragement to, to um, cultivate a heart of loving kindness, a mother with her only child. So uh, I can remember um, at least two incidents in my life, possibly more, where I got myself into, into some uh, serious hot water with different people where I was talking about letting go of attachments and letting go of grasping and I was told in no uncertain terms that is not teaching suitable for lay people. One was a mother who came to visit her son and in the monastery here, and uh, I forget what I was saying now, but uh, she was saying, mothers are attached, that's all there is to it. And, and this other one was a married couple, and, and uh, the wife was really telling me off with the suggestion that I should talk about letting go of attachments. Well, I think the uh, the point is I probably wasn't uh, teaching in a very skillful way because the Buddha knew what he was talking about. The Buddha didn't suffer and the Buddha knew that attachments are the cause of suffering. So what's what's the point in this? What, what do we need to be looking at? And Surely what we need to be looking at is the way we relate to our feelings of affection, our feelings of fondness. Mm. Attachments, the word attachments is a as, as far as I hear it, is, uh, is a description of the way we relate to experience. Yeah. There's that uh, story Ajahn Chah told once about um, a... Um, well, he was, talking, he was telling a story about somebody else, that's what I remember now. Some, uh, some Chao Kun, some high-ranking monk, went on a, on a trip to China, and while he was in China, he got given a very, very beautiful teacup a uh, very, very expensive, very precious ancient teacup. And so he gave it to his uh, novice monk and, and, um, and told him to look after it. He says, that's, you know, that's really something special. You've got to really look after that. And, and so um, he looked after it and, and uh, took it back to the monastery in Thailand and, and, uh, and so he had this special cup, wherever it was in the cupboard. And then one day the novice... Uh, came to see the, the Chalkun and he was very scared and very upset and, and, uh, and he said, oh, he said, uh, 
that uh, that cup that you, you gave me, you've been looking after. He said, "Well, he said it's uh, it was impermanent." And uh, the, the, uh, the the teacher, the chalker, said, "What do you mean it's impermanent?" He says, "Well, I broke it." And uh, and the chalker says, "Oh, thank goodness for that." He said, "It was such a problem having that thing." So, yeah. Of course, if the uh, chalker really um, was really practicing properly, he could have appreciated this cup, but he wouldn't have been attached to it. The cup wasn't a problem. Having a cup's not a problem. Even if it's from the Ming Dynasty, having the cup's not a problem. Where does it become a problem? Where does having a piece of Ming Dynasty porcelain become a problem? It's not the person who made it. It's not the person who gave it. It's not in having it. All that's fine, but it's in the way we relate to it. It's the way we hold it. That's what the word attachment is talking about. And and, uh, in our relationships, and uh, if the teacher is suggesting that uh, uh, parents don't attach to their children, well, sometimes parents get upset about that. But I don't know about you, but I know what it's like when, when, when parents attach to me. <laughs> My parents attach to me and don't want me to change, don't want to be anything other than what they expect me to be. Uh, is it possible to love without attachment? I think that's a spiritual question. It's not something that reading a book will give us an answer to. Is it possible to appreciate a piece of Ming Dynasty porcelain without grasping? Well, if it's not possible, then there's no freedom from suffering. And is it possible to have beautiful, wonderful friends without grasping? Well, if it's not possible, then we can't be free from suffering. But thankfully, we do have an example. The Buddha was free from suffering. Well, the Buddha is completely free from suffering, and all the realized arahants since the Buddha have been completely free from all suffering. Yes, we know they had pain. Being in this world, there's pain. But did they have suffering? Was there somebody there resisting reality and creating this experience that we all have of ouch, this, this aching, the aching of the heart? Where does that come from? It's not in the things. It's in the way we relate to the things. And so, how do we, what do we do about that? Even if our contemplation takes us in that direction, what do we do about it? Well, if it's a feeling investigation and not just uh, a mental analysis, if it's a feeling investigation, then maybe we start to see in the moment if our mindfulness is a is really acute and sharp and here and now. And maybe we start to see how we make problems. We start to see how we create problems, how we see how we create stress over things. We experience something beautiful and then watch the mind and see, is there a point, can we catch the point? I can't say I can catch it because I get caught up all the time, but... Is there a point whereby we can see we, we spoil it? That the initial impulse of appreciation of beauty, yeah. usually, I would expect for most of us, is followed, that initial impulse of appreciation of beauty, is followed by what? By grasping. We grasp at the pleasurable sensation that comes with appreciation of beauty. Whatever the object is, the weather, the company, a thought, or something subtle, 
meditation. And the body is upright, the mind is calm and clear, say, imagine, and then there's delight. Now, if at that point we're not aware, we're not mindful, we're not here now, then we can follow our old habits and what happens? Grasping. And at that moment we cultivate attachment. And what is the consequence? Suffering. Now maybe we don't see the suffering immediately because it's a refined form of suffering. We don't necessarily not alert to it. But the consequences might come later on when the next time our meditation doesn't produce such lovely experiences. What have we got? We've got we miss the beautiful experience. Yeah. So the emphasis is always on that kind of awareness, that kind of mindfulness, that kind of presence of attention, which isn't taking sides, isn't saying this is good to be feeling pleasant or this is bad to be feeling unpleasant, to inhibit the judging mind and feel it's like this, it's like this. It's not saying that I like feeling bad or like feeling disappointed. It's not saying that I dislike feeling good. Is it possible to not say anything? Our habits of proliferation, our habits of always adding something to things means that there's a tendency to always have a comment, an opinion about everything. And that is, in a way, a kind of mental disease that that we suffer from. Something that uh, we've cultivated and the Buddha said, well, it's not an obligation. That always having an opinion, always judging, always taking sides for and against... It is a habit, but from the Buddhist perspective, it's not an obligation, it's a choice that we make. And so the encouragement is to what? The encouragement is to develop that kind of attention, like we do in meditation, whatever the meditation object is, that kind of attention that always comes back and knows, simply knows, this is how it is, this is how it is. The meditation is agreeable. We don't get, oh, I'm having such a great meditation. This is a really fabulous meditation. And after meditation, you go and yak, yak, yak to somebody and tell him what a wonderful meditation it is. I got an email the other day from a friend who um, who's living these days in Sri Lanka. And he, he's living in a, a center, which is quite well known. And uh, the meditation teacher in this uh, this monastery in Sri Lanka, he was saying when when people come to him on retreat, and start telling them about their wonderful meditation experiences, he just wants to tell them to go home because you're just wasting your time. Yeah. Trying to have beautiful meditation experiences and then attaching to them and going on about them, that's not what practice is at all. Yeah. They might come, of course, and it's nice when nice experiences do come. It's nice when nice weather comes. It's nice when good company comes. But can we really appreciate beauty, joy, delight when it comes our way without spoiling it. Can a beautiful butterfly land in front of us and we simply appreciate it until it flies away or do we have to stick a pin through it so that we can keep it forever? Kill it. And now I've got this beautiful butterfly. Well... We probably 
got a feeling for the ability to appreciate the changing nature of life, but a mediocre ability to appreciate the changing nature of life may not be enough for us to really free ourselves from our serious deep habits of grasping. And uh, according to the Buddha's teaching, these habits of grasping have been cultivated for a long time. They've got a lot of momentum behind them. They're not easy to uproot. That's why sometimes going on a meditation retreat is a good thing to do. You think you're getting getting around okay, your mindfulness is okay, your concentration is good enough, you know know how to stick with a theme for a while and but then you go on a meditation retreat and you stop talking, stop eating in the evening, stop distracting yourself with with um, all the various things that we get up to and dissipate our attention and then you're getting reminders from the teacher to come back to be here now, be with the body, simple moment-by-moment awareness. And then you're also in the environment of other people doing the same thing. And you start to find maybe that there's this intensification of awareness. This uh, clarity of perception starts to arise. And we start to see more deeply, more subtly. So, oh, look at that. I didn't even realize that I was grasping. Yeah. I didn't even realize that was what was going on. I just thought I was suffering, and most of the time I thought it was somebody else's fault. I felt sorry for myself. But uh, when the mind gets a little quieter, gets a little more subtle, you start to see into the roots of the attachment, the roots of the grasping. So, oh, there it is. And that's what the Buddha wanted us to see. That's why the gift of Dhamma uh, excels all other gifts. The gift of that teaching, that pointing, which, which doesn't just give us a story to make us feel good, doesn't just give us some some nice cookies and ice cream, which definitely you know can make you feel good, but then you can get sick afterwards. Yeah. Cookies and ice cream—that's just very temporary feel good. But when the Buddha actually points out, he says, "No, no, don't turn away from your suffering. Don't turn away from this feeling of obstruction, of limitation, of frustration. Feeling frustrated is not an indictment against who you are. When you start to feel your frustration, really now." Here and now, without judging it, so feeling this disappointment, frustration. Disappointment is just so. Don't turn away from it. Don't miss the opportunity. You start to really feel it and investigate it. This is the Buddha's encouraging us to. You start to see it, and then you see it in a way whereby you see what you're doing, what you're doing in the moment, and and the seeing at the moment of seeing the letting go happens. You say, oh, what a gift! What a gift! Yeah, I could have had cookies and ice cream, but. This is much more useful to be encouraged. You know, don't turn away from your suffering, thinking that there's something going wrong. Because you're suffering doesn't mean to say something's going wrong. We're suffering because we created the causes for suffering. And we've been creating them for so long, and the habits of unawareness means we don't actually see them as causes for suffering. We don't even see the causes exist. If we can get interested in this contemplation, and persuade ourselves, encourage ourselves um, to inhibit the tendency to turn away from the symptom of our avoidance of reality. That is our frustration. If we can encourage ourselves to inhibit the tendency to turn away from the consequence of our ignorance and rather stay with it, stay with it, no judgment, until the letting go happens. And then we feel, all right, that's the point. There, that's true. I'm not now. Now you don't have to believe what the Buddha said about 
grasping as, as cause of suffering. You start to see for yourself in a little way. We're not talking about super amazing realization. We're talking about little moments of appreciation that that's the cause of suffering. And to the degree we can really start to feel that for ourselves and open up to that ourselves, well then maybe we can let go of some of the addictions in our life, the habits of distraction. We can put a lot of energy into trying to stop be addicted to our distractions, but you know we're addicted. We're addicted because you know, there's something we don't look at. But if we can start, we know we can start to look clearly at what it is that was causing the suffering. Well, then who knows? Maybe the addictions fall away, and and certainly the addictions are there. I read uh, some time ago on the. Um, the World Health Organization statistics on well, it was on the uh, Huffington Post website, and and it was talking about four uh, percent of deaths in a year worldwide. That's two point five million people occur because are alcohol related, and that's more than tuberculosis, more than violence, more than AIDS, and uh, that's a lot. That's a lot of deaths worldwide. Four percent of all the deaths, two point five million people apparently, according to World Health Organization statistics. And how much energy goes into actually dealing with alcohol-related diseases compared to all the energy that goes into dealing with tuberculosis or, or AIDS? Well, not a lot, because um, the addiction to alcohol is uh, something that a lot of people really believe in. They, they really believe, they really feel they need it. Uh, they can't do without it, and... Or addictions with food, uh, similarly. Um, the habits of, of uh, comfort eating can be really humiliating. If you've got such a habit, and, and you know, well, the reason we have these habits is, well, what is the reason we have these habits? You can't, we can willfully try to stop our habits of, of uh, comfort eating. Well, another approach is to perhaps try to induce ourselves, encourage ourselves towards a simple here and now willingness to receive ourselves as we are when we're suffering. When we're suffering, the easiest thing in the world is to have an opinion about it. I don't have any difficulty at all having an opinion about myself when I'm suffering. I'm failing. If I was together, if I was a good Buddhist, if I was this, if I was that, I wouldn't be suffering. But taking that position against ourselves, what does that do? That's, what is that? Taking a position against our suffering is grasping. It's grasping at an opinion. We split off from ourselves, step back, and we look at ourselves and say, well, you know, I should be like this, I shouldn't be like that. And, and so we then grasp at this opinion, we attach to the opinion of, I'm wrong, I've failed. We take a position against ourselves. And the reality is, the truth is, the actuality is, it doesn't help. And so if we've got mindfulness, well, hopefully, little by little, we hear those teachings, these Buddha's teachings, and little by little, we start to reconsider the situation. Because I'm suffering doesn't mean to say I'm failing. It might mean that, but I don't have to believe that. We can look a little closer. And so uh, I was thinking earlier this evening of a, a situation of where I was in that 
of a conference that I went to uh, with Ajahn Sumato and and it was um, a conference about mystics and scientists and Ajahn Sumato was there representing the mystical tradition and there was all these very uh, competent um, very skilled scientists talking in uh, very sophisticated but very abstract terms Ajahn Sumato's talk was just you've heard Ajahn Sumato talk it's just very basic very here and now four noble truths nothing highfalutin at all but uh, very relevant and I don't know what talk he gave there but uh, you know it probably wasn't scintillating amazing and, and, and you know getting standing ovations that wasn't that's not the way Ajahn Sumato talks um, but it was relevant and um, compared to some of these other talks you know one might even say that it was perhaps a little boring even uh, but does it work that's the point some of these other riveting discourses that were given and then and anyway after some of the talks there was a meal break and <clears throat> we went into the meal room and and uh, one of these um, leading scientists was sitting opposite us and I noticed the Ajahn Sumedha and I both noticed this scene as the as the uh, the uh, they were serving out the meals. We're having spaghetti. I think and the plates of spaghetti were being given out, and and the uh, the the lady pushing the trolley down the the aisle there. She was serving these tables over here, and uh, and this uh, lecturer, the scientist guy, he decided well he wasn't going to wait. He was going to just take his his um, his food off the tray right there and then. So he reached out there. And uh, the service lady, she wasn't going to have it, so she grabs the, t- the plate back. And here's this scientist and the service lady fighting over this, this uh, plate of spaghetti at the table. And, then, uh, and he wanted his plate of spaghetti, and she wasn't going to have it, and he had to wait his turn. He wasn't going to wait his turn. And I just thought, all oh, right, okay. You know, it's very easy to talk in very complicated, sophisticated ways about the nature of reality. But when it comes to life, when it comes to our relationship to food our relationship to money, our relationship to liking and disliking, do all our clever ideas really cut the mustard? Do, uh, does, it really, does it really work? And so uh, the encouragement that we're given the teachings is, yes, it's fine to have inspiring thoughts, but also it's important to be willing to let go of our clever ideas and come back to a simple here and now feeling awareness that instead of trying to sort out my suffering, instead of trying to fix my suffering, instead of trying to make myself somebody who's not suffering, is it possible, is it possible, I think this is a really, really important question, is it possible to really receive myself as I am in the moment when I'm suffering. So I would recommend that uh, in contemplating teachings like this, and uh, not just to believe in it, not just to say, that's amazing, that's great, that's wonderful, but to take it inwards. Say, well, yeah, what does that actually mean? What does that actually mean what is the cause of my suffering? How do I approach my suffering? And what is the path to freedom from suffering? So thank you very much this evening for your attention. <laughs> Thank you.